You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On Tuesday, June 19th, the Washington Post hosted entertainers, journalists, technology experts, and leaders in government to discuss the future of the First Amendment. This second annual free-to-state program featured discussions about net neutrality, the evolution of political correctness, political satire in comedy, free speech on college campuses, and so much more. In this segment, you'll hear from experts who debate what effect the repeal of net neutrality rules will have on access and freedom of expression across the internet. Let's listen. Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Brian Fung. I'm a technology reporter here at the Washington Post. Uh, I cover telecom and broadband issues. Um, so today we've got a very interesting panel lined up on net neutrality, which is an issue that I'm sure a lot of you have heard of, uh, heard about recently. Um, got a fantastic panel here lined up. Uh, we've got Commissioner uh, Michael O'Reilly, one of the, the uh, Republican commissioners at the FCC. Um, beside him, we've got Senator Ed Markey. Uh, who has been leading the charge uh, in Congress uh, to reverse the FCC's decision to repeal the net neutrality rules. Um, beside him, we have Jonathan Spalter, who's the uh, head of US Telecom, which is a trade association representing broadband providers and ISPs. And finally, um, we have Rob Atkinson, who's the president of the uh, of ITIF, a think tank um, uh, spelled out, the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation. Um, so I thought I'd you know, start out just with a pretty general question, talking a little bit about you know, we're now a week um, since the Federal Communications Commission's net neutrality rules have come off the books officially. Um, and Commissioner, let me, let me start with you. And Senator, I'll come to you next. Sure. Uh, you know, the repeal of the rules has you know, allowed internet providers now to um, uh, favor certain types of content over others, um, so long as they disclose that fact. Um, you know, perhaps a streaming TV service here, a music streaming service there. What, um, you know, what, what effect will that have on free speech on the internet? Well, first, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being here. And I, I did catch the last panel. I want you to know, I, I don't hate anybody. Uh, <laughs> that, that last panel really, really woof, interesting. Uh, but to your, to your point, um, I think the experience for American consumers on the Internet is going to be exactly the same that they had previous to last Monday, previous to the 2015 rules. It is going to be the same experience. What you may see are opportunities for companies to establish uh, new practices that will be beneficial to the overall experience, whether it's trying to figure out you know, paid prioritization. There's always paid prioritization, right? That's a ban on paid prioritization. What we have... Uh, eliminated that ban, and there's an opportunity to build consumer-friendly, consumer-friendly uh, uh, packages um, that will benefit the overall internet experience. Is an opportunity also to be harmful potentially, and that's what we'll have to keep forward. What's an example out. of a consumer-friendly sure. business model under this um, new sure. regime? 
We, two that are always cited. The good part is we don't know that experience yet, but two that are always cited, autonomous cars, remote surgery. You want that experience. You want to make sure that data goes through ahead of some cat video. You need to make sure that goes through when you're talking about remote surgery, right? That, that's an experience that has to happen. And if it requires a, a financial structure so they can, so you can actually make the data go through, then that is something we want to allow happen. But we don't want the anti-competitive side. And that's why we've reestablished and reauthorized. We've taken away previous rules, took away FTC authority. We have reverted FC, FTC authority as provided under statute to look at those anti-competitive instances. Senator, what's your take on this? How could the internet change uh, for consumers and, um, and affect the way that speech occurs online? Uh, well, another way of saying net neutrality is non-discrimination. And, uh, and that's essentially been something that's been built into the personality of the internet right from the beginning. However, um, every new merger, AT&T, Time Warner, but there's a whole lineup that's getting ready to come to this particular Justice Department, uh, uh, this particular era of politics to see if they can get permission to consolidate. And the more that happens, the companies that carry the information are also the companies that produce the information. And so that's a built-in temptation for those companies to start to discriminate against companies, against individuals, against citizens who don't have big pockets but have a voice and they want to be heard. And so there's going to be an increasing temptation on the parts of these companies to create fast lanes for those companies that can pay and discriminate in favor of their own content and uh, to look at the world of smaller writers, producers, you know, content creators and just kind of be pushing them away. And so from my perspective, uh, they now have the legal right to do it. They're going to hold until all of the court appeals are finished. They're going to hold until we reach the end of this year so they can make sure that in the House of Representatives that net neutrality uh, is not restored as my Congressional Review Act amendment made possible in the Senate just four weeks ago. Then they'll be free once again uh, to uh, consolidate and to discriminate. So that's my concern. It goes right to free speech. It goes right to an individual on the street seeing a policeman acting in a way that's violating the civil rights of someone. And the local newspaper hasn't really covered it. The local uh, TV station hasn't really covered it. The local cable system hasn't really covered it. But this individual can live stream. They can be a citizen journalist. And something like that can go viral immediately. We don't want to be in a world where that person can be discriminated against, where that whole class of people within our society reaches a point where they're no longer given the same rights, the same opportunities to speak uh, as they have been historically under a net neutrality. So, regime. Jonathan, um, you know, how likely is this scenario likely to play out? Uh, well, I've got to say that I'm in absolute violent agreement with Senator Markey that, in fact, uh, all broadband providers absolutely to their core are committed to non-discrimination. This is not a debate about net neutrality, pro or con. Broadband providers are 100% for an open internet, for non-discrimination, for net neutrality, full stop. 
what this is a debate about is extending this non-discrimination principle to the, the idea that Congress needs to establish a national framework that every single American consumer can have the full protections of the open internet, privacy, looking forward to an even more optimistic future for our internet, but that doesn't merely focus on ISPs, but extends to all parts of the internet ecosystem. There's not an internet user alive who, when they think about the internet, only thinks about ISPs. It's like a community pool on the lifeguard only looking at the shallow end uh, where ISPs uh, live, where at the deep end you have, in fact, in real time, today, actors that are actually doing some very questionable things. The idea of a national legislation that can solve these problems with certainty and predictability over the long haul is where we need to move towards. We need to not just raise a ruckus, but lift our sights and do the hard work that, in fact, Senator Markey and Commissioner O'Reilly undertook in 96, really bravely, courageously pushing a huge legislative log up the hill against all odds to shape a framework that propelled the modern open internet we're enjoying today. It's time to rejoin that work and all of us are ready to, to, to get to work in shaping that next generation of national legislation and I hope we can begin that work. So the idea that uh, you know, internet providers as well as websites um, should operate under a same sort of rubric or framework um, makes a lot of sense to me conceptually on the privacy side. Um, when, you, when it comes to this principle of non-discrimination of content, how do you see that working out um, on, in, you know, when you're trying to apply this to websites such as Google or sure. Facebook? Well, I, I mentioned the deep end of the pool, and there are companies today that are, you know, really actually gaining the headlines for in really blocking and uh, content and services and application. Look at what's transpired between Amazon and Google. It is not the broadband ISPs that we need to only and uniquely turn our attention. We have to have a more comprehensive view uh, from the consumer's perspective of all of the companies that they interact with online and step up to the challenge of shaping and, and implementing a next generation of national legislation. And if Congress doesn't step up, others are going to step in and we're seeing that happen today. The EU, the Director General of Competition, has become the de facto privacy regulator in the United States. We've seen over 25 states step in because Congress has been abdicating and equivocating and not moving forward in the work that they need to do. The most recent piece of legislation in California is drafted by a gentleman named Scott Weiner. Uh, I just moved from California. He had said that if anything, if his legislation in California can be a prod for Congress to actually get to the important work that we know can be done, where we've seen such great leadership in the past from my co-panelists here, then I'm really certain that we can actually fix this problem and move on to the next generation of uh, American innovation and leadership in the internet. Rob, you've been doing a lot of work on privacy and GDPR, the European um, data law. What kind of similarities do you see between what's going on in Europe and uh, you know, privacy when it comes to US ISPs um, and net neutrality? Uh, sure, if I could though, I wanna, I wanna touch on the net neutrality first and then I do that. Um, I think what, with all due respect to Senator Markey, um, the internet actually from the very beginning was designed for differential service. It was never designed for one application. The internet is not like telephony where there was one application. There are multiple applications 
running on internet protocols. Some of those applications, you fundamentally don't care if the, if the data packets get there late, like your email. If your email gets there a tenth of a second late, you probably are happy because you get less bombardment of email. But if your Skype packets get there a tenth of a second late, when I try to talk to my son who's away at college and the Skype doesn't, isn't working well because there's network congestion, it really is upsetting and it's frustrating. So, the internet was never designed that. There's actually an internet protocol called DiffServe, which means differential service. The key really is, do the carriers who play this important role, the ISPs, have they manipulated that or discriminated against that or for anti-competitive or anti-free speech reasons? And the answer is, yes, they have, once. And that was a case called Madison River, a little teeny teleco co-op that no longer is in business because it got bought by a bigger company, probably one of your members, who has committed publicly to net neutrality. They tried to block Skype early on, and within five days, the FCC shut them down. And this was all done before net neutrality rules. So why is there all this brouhaha? It's, a, it's something that's never, ever happened. No ISP has ever blocked speech. So why is there all this brouhaha? One reason is because it, they could, and that's a sort of fear that everybody has. How are we to trust these people? Maybe they could. Uh, then there's a second reason, though, which is, I think, which is really what drives the debate. Not the they could fear, but we don't like the existing business model and industry structure, and we want it to be a regulated utility. So if you look at the net neutrality debate in the U.S., it's all about Title II, which is to get into a lot of details, the old Telecom Act of 96, regulating Internet as it was regulating telephony, including potentially price regulation and open access so that a carrier has to sell their services, has to provide their equipment to another competitor. There's a really easy answer to that, and that's what Jonathan just talked about. Pass a bill in Congress, could be a freestanding amendment to the Communications Act, could be a whole-scale revamp of the Communications Act, but that basically and simply says ISPs cannot block or degrade legal Internet traffic. Why don't we have that bill today? So we're going to come back to that. But the, Rob, the, answer, I the answer, by the way, to be clear, why we don't have that bill today is the net neutrality advocates do not want that bill. So in a minute, I'm going to ask Senator Markey to address that point. But first, I wanted to get your take on, um, on the privacy issue. So GDPR, in our view, is going to have a GDP, European privacy rule. Here's a good question. Why doesn't Europe have any real leading Internet companies? The answer is because it's impossible to monetize eyeballs in Europe. Catherine Tucker, who's a professor at MIT, did a definitive study a few years ago, and she said that found that ad effectiveness in Europe is about between 50 to 60 percent less effective than ad effectiveness in the U.S. Because in Europe, if you're, if I'm a, I'm a guy, obviously, and and uh, and so when I go on a website, they might know that I'm likely a guy who rides his bicycle to work, as I did this morning. So they might put a bike ad up there for me. They don't know my name. They don't know. They just know that I might. I'm much more likely to click on that ad. Therefore, this great free internet ad service I'm getting from some small little startup is able to make enough money to stay in business. In Europe, you can't do that because they're just going to put an ad up there, and it could be a perfume ad that I would see, and I'm not going to click on a perfume ad. So GDPR is a major, major drag. Is it going to make it even worse? And as we just did on a new report, it's going to make it really, really hard for the Europeans to be able to use artificial intelligence effectively because they've clamped down the use of data. Even anonymized data is going to be hard to use. So I think, it's a, I think that would be a bad path for us to go down. We, we could establish national rules, which we're in favor of, but they have to be strategic and focused and allow data innovation. Okay, so Senator, um, uh, we just heard um, uh, about the 
difficulty um, of trying to pass a national net neutrality law and um, you know the allegation, I guess, that Democrats are to blame for not coming. To be clear, I didn't say Democrats. I, I did not say Democrats, uh, Brian. I said n hardcore net neutrality advocates who are pushing elected officials to not do a compromise bill. That's specifically what I said. Um, so would you, would you agree with that assessment, that hardcore net neutrality advocates are preventing net neutrality legislation from taking, taking fruit? Um, well, as you know, 86% of all Americans support net neutrality, so that's a pretty big hardcore group of people who support the whole concept of non-discrimination and net neutrality. Um, but, you know, we just have to rewind one year. Um, the Obama administration has promulgated net neutrality rules, privacy rules for ISPs. First thing, we come to um, uh, the, the Trump White House, House and Senate controlled by Republicans. They bring out a Congressional Review Act to overturn the privacy rules. Just strip them off the books. Is there a substitute that they're offering? Is there a hearing that we're going to have now and what's going to be the replacement? Of course not. Then they want to move on to net neutrality. That's next. Okay? That has to go. And so that gets finished in December of 2017. So the two role, uh, uh, rules that kind of right, that go to what are the rights of consumers, what are the rights of ordinary people, smaller companies in our country, they're just taken off the books. And then those who believe in those things are now told, well, now it's your challenge to go to a Trump administration, uh, a House and Senate controlled by Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell, now you should go and get a good bill to protect privacy. You should go and get a good bill that ensures protection for competition, for consumers, for free speech in America. And so um, I appreciate that argument. Um, uh, I also um, believe that, um, that they know on its face that that's not going to happen uh, and that uh, the ISPs, and by the way, the, uh, uh, all the other companies, Google and Facebook and others, they're not stepping up saying we need a, uh, we need a, a strong privacy Bill of Rights. They've been fighting the, the European rule right from the get-go uh, and uh, introduced legislation for an opt-in standard for privacy, um, which I have to admit, I have some difficulty in garnering support from Republicans, always have, and I expect that to continue. So when I hear these arguments, um, having been on the Telecommunications Committee, get ready for this for 42 years. Uh, before we had any competition in the marketplace, before we broke it up, before I was the Democratic author of the 1996 Act. Um, at that point in time, the ISPs really weren't in the content business. They had no idea what Google, eBay, Amazon, Hulu, YouTube were even going to be. So they had no stake in discriminating because their goal was really to have more companies, more individuals try to use their new uh, broadband pipeline. Not one American in a home had broadband in February of 1996. So this was all new to those companies too, and they really continued to see themselves as conduits, not content creators. But now, increasingly, they see the money's over here in content. They see what is going on. So you don't have to be Bob Mueller to figure this out. 
okay, what's going on? It's a pretty simple play, okay, to make sure uh, that increasingly they're able to aggregate the power to themselves, limit the privacy protections, uh, but also leave themselves with the question to upstart content providers, do I feel lucky? Kind of like, you know, um, you know, uh, Clint Eastwood and Dirty Harry, you know? Do I feel lucky that my company will be able to make it or am I just gonna have to sell out to this big, so bigger ent entity? So I hear what they're saying, but from my perspective, we're in for a monumental battle uh, on these issues. And, uh, and if the Democrats control the House and Senate, we'll then proceed uh, on these issues. And then we'll really be able to ferret out what the real positions are uh, of all of the participants in this great debate. And I think they're pretty much gonna align the way they've always aligned uh, in my long, rich history of uh, conducting hearings. So Commissioner O'Reilly, um, contemplating the, this prospect of uh, you know, yet another twist in this net neutrality saga that's gone on for years where uh, the FCC changes its mind yet again, how, how does that sit in your mind? Well, I, I, in all due respect to Zender, I've only done these issues for half his time, Thank 20 you. years. On, I worked on Capitol Hill, uh, and so I, I, I have talked to a lot of my friends, and they're not, I haven't talked to the speaker or the majority leader, but I have talked to the folks, uh, Greg Walden, uh, I've talked to John Thune, and they've begged Democrats to come to the table and negotiate. They've said, please, they've asked them, and it's like, no, it only, if, only when the rules are challenged in court, the last rules are challenged in court and then sustained. Oh, only if this happens, only if this happens, only if this happens. Every single time it happens, every go through a next hurdle, and then there's never an opportunity, and now it's only if Democrats are in charge of both House and Senate, and you're like, wow, I gotta, I gotta solve everything. I gotta turn the election, and then we'll be able to legislate on the issue. That's a, that's a lot of stuff to ask for. I, I will disagree slightly on the the privacy issue. The FCC imposed privacy obligations only on ISPs. Now the center rightfully has highlighted that many people are left out, many companies are left out of the equation there. And that's what we begged, the FCC folks begged and said, you know, we have to cover the entire gamut here. Now we, there are different opinion whether you do opt out, opt in. I, I can debate that all, all day long if people want to have a conversation about privacy. But the idea that could only be one segment of the equation, and, and if you go back to the senator's point as it relates to the cop video, that's, that's an issue. If you've got a cop video that something is really terribly happening, your fight is not with your ISP. Why can't you put that on YouTube? Your fight is with, with, with a platform that exists today, and if they're not letting you do that, that's not governed by the FCC or net neutrality rules. That's governed by the FTC, and in most instances, not governed at all. And so we've asked, many people said, maybe you need to be a comprehensive stroke, you know, and address everybody, but that means actually getting to the table. And the Republicans that I know have said, please come to the table, but there's no one showing up, and I, I don't know how to solve that problem. So well, amongst, I, I just want to say that we do believe that we're going to win in court because this rule was finalized at the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals in 2016. And one year later, it was overturned in a Federal Communications Commission three to two vote. So we think that there's a pretty high likelihood that in court we're gonna win and overturn what the Trump FCC did and that those uh, net neutrality rules will stay on the books. So that's, that, that's a view which I think is held by many people. Uh, and I think it's, it's, it's um, uh, I think it makes sense for us to wait out that whole process. Can't you so, do both at the same time? Can Rob, I, can Rob was say? first, and then I'm going to go to Jonathan. Well, I just a few points we were brought up. One, one was that the, now that the 
content companies are, I mean, so the ISPs are getting into content, which makes sense, because I just, it was, a, I mean, you know, I'm not gonna like this, I was a cord cutter this weekend. I no longer have video and phone. I just have a, have a data pipe, and more and more people are gonna do that. So yeah, they're gonna get into content. Real question is, do they have any incentive to do anything weird with that, or to give prioritization, to sell prioritization for Netflix? No. Most the average broadband today is about 20 megabits. The average stream of a Netflix video or an Amazon Prime video or a Hulu video is five megabits. Ten years ago, it made, it made sense to have a debate about whether net neutrality would be applied to video. Absolutely not anymore. It'll never, it's not an issue. They don't need prioritization. They're not going to need it in the future. The second issue is about privacy. We did a study where we looked at every single major ISP in the United States and identified their privacy policy. Every single one of them has a very robust, very clear privacy policy that lets any user opt out. Under the rules with the FTC and authority, if any of those ISPs violated that order, that, that, their own voluntary standard, the FTC will go after them with a fairly significant fine, and they've done that in the past. Last point I'll make is I, I think we have to be careful what we wish for here. The idea that we would want somehow sort of search neutrality or, 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 or Twitter neutrality or YouTube neutrality, um, these are different than, than, than ISPs, I would argue. I mean, how, how many people like the idea that uh, some of the people on Twitter who were pretty violent racist are no longer on Twitter? I mean, I think that's probably a good thing. But if you put in place a strict neutrality rule, Twitter would not be able to manage its own network, its own, its own feeds, and, and it would anybody who wanted to post any kind of trash or the most vile kind of content and speech on those platforms, on YouTube would be another good example. They could do it. So I really don't think we want to go down that path. We might want to go down a path of making sure that, they, that they're responsible, which so far they appear to be, but uh, there's a reason why platforms manage their content, because we have norms in society. And I, I just would have two points. Um, and the first is the stakes are truly very, very high. We've become as a society a, a, a incredibly reliant on, almost existentially reliant on, a thriving, growing, dynamic, evolving, and open internet. And if we really do care about our consumers and their need to know that they are going to have rules of the road going forward, then we have to stop doing this political or legislative arbitrage about waiting for court cases to be won or lost. And we have to ask our legislators to actually stand up and do the hard work of legislating. I mentioned this again. It took about five years for the 96 Act, Telecommunications Act, to take form. It was a lot of work. It was a bipartisan project, and we got it over the finish line. In fact, the pen that President Clinton signed that act with, uh, and he said when he did, um, that we now have a law that's ready for the future. I understand that you have that digital pen in that's your right. office, Senator that's Markey. Well, it's time that we re-again develop and create laws that are ready for the future. And we can't do it through half measures. The fatal flaw of the CRA of Title II is that it only focuses its attention on one part of this increasingly converging ecosystem that we call the internet. American consumers expect more of our political process to make sure that we can have these sustainable protections. And to the point that ISPs somehow are not ready to commit to those rights, well, our member companies at US Telecom have been extremely clear and precise 
about their commitment to those rights. No blocking, no throttling, no anti-competitive pay prioritization, transparency. Let's move forward in a comprehensive way to structure rules through legislation that also encompasses privacy and extends its range to all companies that our consumers in, uh, interact with across the internet ecosystem. They've expressed these commitments in, in public, in advertising, and the good news is that we're beginning to hear new echoes from colleagues at the Internet Association, from, from us, from Republicans and Democrats that I'm speaking to, that the time is right. And if not now, when? And if not us, who? And it's time that we actually move forward for comprehensive Internet protections extending across net neutrality and privacy for all American consumers. Senator, could you, could you agree to a net neutrality bill that contains some of those provisions, perhaps setting up a separate title in the Communications Act, uh, importing you know, perhaps some of the rules that apply to cable companies with program access and, and so forth, but in, uh, sort of migrating them over to the internet ecosystem? Um, again, um, we're not done. I think we have a real shot at having a vote on the House floor. There are up to 175 members have now signed on to the discharge petition to force a vote, the same way that they're doing on the immigration issue over in the House right now. So this issue is still percolating. Um, uh, again, my, my, my problem is that, uh, that ultimately I do think that it's a, a classic violation of the Administrative Procedures Act, which what took place at the Federal Communications Commission, and I do think that they did act arbitrarily and capriciously, and that there's a really good shot at having that uh, decision overturned, that rule overturned. Um, and so uh, I, I don't think that it's wise to negotiate against yourself. And on the question of privacy, yeah, ISPs, you know, they put up a privacy um, a code that you can read, but ultimately, the only thing that they're bound by is what they actually put up there as their privacy rules. Um, and, um, and the only thing that's enforceable at the Federal Trade Commission, let's just say, theoretically, that that's where it all moved, uh, is um, if they're in violation of what they said their privacy rules are, which may be that you have no privacy, that they feel free to sell everything that you've got. They feel free to compromise all that information. What I believe we need in privacy is an enforceable right of every American uh, to sue if your um, information has been compromised. I just left a hearing, that's why this panel was a little bit delayed, on Facebook and Cambridge Analytica. And it's very clear to me that Facebook was in violation of their 2011 consent decree uh, in terms of the compromise of the information of individuals. Uh, it's very clear to me that in the sale of information to a Chinese firm that was on uh, the um, on a national security watch list, in terms of their sale, in terms of their sharing of information with Microsoft and and BlackBerry and other companies, okay, that that uh, Americans need a real bill of rights, a privacy bill of rights, and it has to be enforceable, uh, and it just can't be something that is enforced only when the company is in violation of the privacy protections which they want to provide, and that's it because I don't think that's going to wash uh, after the European rules uh, are abided by by all American companies in Europe. Uh, Americans are going to wonder why 400 million Europeans get those protections and 320 million Americans don't get those protections. I think we're in for a huge debate over uh, the next couple of years on both of these issues because they go right to the core of the future of our country and 
By the way, AT&T uh, and Time Warner merger is a preview of coming attractions, and these issues are only going to get bigger and bigger as the consolidation of the media industry right, gets Unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. Um, we're out of time, but um, let's take it to the green room. Um, <laughs> thank you guys for joining us today. Uh, please join me in thanking our excellent panelists. Thank you all. Thank you very and uh, next up, we've got our final event of the day, which is an interview with Patton Oswalt. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.